now whatever the wrestling podcast episode 36 i'm your host the doctor among men duncan joyce i'm joined once again by the hardest working triple h mark in show business mr kyle cambry hi doc how you doing pretty pretty good yeah we're surviving the weather yeah this this weather's pretty awful i went to take the bins out this morning and i've kind of ended up halfway down the road (laughs) (laughs) well Luckily, we're not alone in suffering really terrible weather. We've got some guests with us who we're really happy to introduce to you all here. From the Last Match Standing podcast, we have Spencer. Hello. And Landon. Hey there. And Paul. Greetings, everyone. This is going to go out on both of our podcast feeds, so I guess we should kind of introduce ourselves a little bit. We're Then Now Whatever the Wrestling Podcast, for those of you who don't know us. We're just hobbyists, and currently we're doing a series called The Tape Trader Diaries, which is looking at some of our favourite wrestling tapes from when we were growing up. Things that we recorded from the television, things that we got lent by friends, things like that. For anyone unfamiliar with you guys over at Last Match Standing, why don't you give us a brief elevator pitch? What's your show all about? Last Night Standing, we are the podcast that reviews, rates, and ranks the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time, right? So the idea was people love lists, and, you know, you can look online and see top 10 lists of anything. And we thought, how fun would it be to rank 100 matches and really do a deep dive of those matches as we go along and create our own list of the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time and find out which match is the last match standing you know which match ultimately does become the greatest match of all time so that's what we do on our end and so it felt like the perfect mix with you guys and the tape trader diary so we're super pumped to be here i've been a tremendous fan of the show since i heard you probably like most people on the advert on the attitude era podcast love the concept and yeah i was really really thrilled when you guys got in touch saying that you wanted to collaborate and here we are today I just wanted to say that I apologize that you guys are also going through bad weather. You know, we've got some hurricane action over here. <laughs> um, so we're trying to, to try to make our, our the most of it on our end as well. Hopefully we can give you a bit of respite from that. I heard one of them got downgraded at least. It did, thankfully. But uh, <laughs> we still have another one coming. <laughs> Get ready for number two. I've got my floaties on right now. You know, just going to do whatever it takes. <laughs> What gave you the idea to start your podcast, by the way? I was literally driving down the road and I was thinking to myself, you know, I know so many really great friends that love wrestling. And I was listening to a wrestling podcast myself at the time. And I I was listening to all sorts of podcasts and I was just like, we can do this. And (laughs) I am a super nerd. So I love making spreadsheets about everything. I'm actually reading like X-Men comments right now and I have a spreadsheet of like whenever I, I, I finish one, I'll check it off and I know which one's next. Like, so I was like, I, I have to do this. Like I want to I want to come up with what are I just identify the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time. And let's make a spreadsheet about it and let's talk about that spreadsheet. And that's kind of where the idea came from. And I thought I thought of my buddy, Paul, who I've <laughs> watched wrestling with forever my whole life and and Spencer 
who I knew was a huge wrestling fan. And we've been able to really become great friends thanks to the podcast. And and they were just game, you know, and it's sort of just just turned into what it turned into. And but the biggest part is it would be nothing without the people listening to this podcast right now, because the best part of our podcast is we, we don't do a match unless we knew that it was something that someone wanted to listen to. So we take listener suggestions, we throw them on a, on a poll on Twitter and whatever wins is that's the match we do. It's been a, a wonderful experience made better by the fact that we're able to come together with friends from across the globe and do collaborations with. So we're really excited. At podcast Hitman. Oh. <laughs> oh. I had to bring him up. Didn't you? Oh my gosh. We went through more issues that first season <laughs> had to put like mental gymnastics on twitter to like not go i don't like this guy and then one day i'm like no he's awesome i love him i don't care what you guys think peek behind the curtain here just a little bit our very first season we had a ranker interaction to the max we're gonna let everybody go on ranker and sort of up and down vote the matches they want on the list and we thought that was a great idea well it turns out some people, not naming names, dedicate their life to downvoting particular matches that happen to be number one on our list every day. <laughs> Just sort of tip the scales. And, and that on top of the newer matches, we would post a new match to that ranker page every time a new episode came out. And it was just sort of weighted incorrectly because the matches that were on the list longer had more votes. And so we found it wasn't the best way to do it. So thank you, Podcast Hitman. Well, that said match that was at number one on the list was one of the reasons that I like made sure to get in touch with you guys because we did an episode on that show right around the same time. I made sure to take a deep dive and, and check out your episode on the match that was featured there and I really enjoyed myself and that's why I've stuck around and kept listening ever since. I've got to say, I think the SummerSlam episode we did was probably the most fun we had at that point. And I think there's maybe other two matches we've done that I was like, okay, this is a lot, a lot of fun. But that one was the first time where I remember, I feel like that's when the three of us started to really gel as podcasters because as much fun as we had in those first, I think maybe four or five episodes, I feel like we hadn't quite found our voices yet. And I think that's when we really started to come out out of our shells. Definitely, Paul. I think, Kyle, when we switched to old school wrestling for the first time, that's where I really, really felt like we'd hit a, a rhythm with the format. Because we just started doing modern wrestling just to get used to things and figure out what the process is like to actually yeah. make this kind of thing. Yeah, I think the love of what kind of got us into wrestling, like that old school vibe, you kind of, you feel more attached than you would do to like the modern day pay-per-view. So yeah, I, I agree. I think you kind of, more emotion comes out when, you, when you're recording past pay-per-views. Well, speaking of old school vibes, we thought since we're collaborating with each other, we'd bring together the best possible microcosm of what both of our shows have going on at the minute what we've come up with is a format that we're calling last tape standing so there's five of us on the call here we've each nominated our favorite tape that we had from growing up 
and we're going to come together and rank them together to figure out which is going to be the last tape standing, which is the best show out of what we're bringing up here today. We're going to go around in turn, each introducing our tapes and what they mean to us, like how we came across them and things like that. We're going to go in chronological order here. So, Paul, we're going to start off with you. I'm interested to hear about the story of this one here. You've picked the <laughs> oldest show on this list, and I don't think you're all that significantly much older than any of us here. You suggested SummerSlam 1996. So what was it about this show that you enjoyed growing up? Well, first off, gentlemen, I have to say, cast your minds back to around the autumn season of 1996. I, At that time, I was a bright-eyed fully haired six-year-old <laughs> child and <laughs> me and my friends and my brother hadn't really quite gotten into the business yet but a, a good friend of ours said hey my parents give me permission to record off a of pay-per-view do you guys want to come over and watch SummerSlam?" and i'm like oh what's SummerSlam?" he's like oh you're gonna love it come on over so we went over and we watched the first i think three or four matches and i uh, i was like what the hell is this i don't get it and uh, unfortunately, because I was a young child, I had to go home. So I, I watched the first three matches and just I, I forgot about it. Around November, he lent the tape to my brother and said, oh, we got to watch the rest of SummerSlam. All right. Awesome. Great. So we put on SummerSlam and he had not rewound it. So the very first thing that pops up is the match between Jerry Lawler and Jake Roper. <laughs> and I was very, very confused. I don't know what's going on. Why is there a giant snake? And then after this, we get the boiler and brawl, which at the time I didn't understand what I was watching. There's zero context. I thought I was watching a snuff film until like they went to the ring, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but then uh, for the main event of that show, which me and Landon have actually considered for our list which is Shawn Michaels and the man they call Vader. Classic match, very, very awesome. And when I went back and watched the entire show about a week later, I'm like, oh, okay, I kind of get it now. This is a lot of fun. And so this is the show that I credit to getting me into the wrestling business, particularly the WWF, now the WWE. They hooked me very, very young. And I think my favorite memory about the show is we lost that tape. We couldn't find it. And then maybe the summer of 2001, we found it again. And I hadn't seen any of these matches in, at that point, like five years. So rewatching it five years later, out of context, being very confused. Why is The Undertaker not riding a motorcycle? What's going on here? It's one of my all-time favorites. I stand by it. I still think it's one of the best shows ever. So this is more of a kind of jumping on point for you as opposed to something you'd continually go back to. Oh, absolutely. Although I will always go back to the Boiler and Brawl match. That match is, I don't want to call it garbage wrestling because it isn't, but that is just some grade A car crash. We're just going <laughs> to brutalize each other in a boiler room. <laughs> and I, I do like it because they didn't really do the whole falls count anywhere or matches outside of the ring. So for them to go throughout the backstage and just they destroyed that backstage area. It was just it was so much fun to watch. I had a lot of fun watching it recently as a as a 30 year old, not just as a child. So it's just a lot of fun. Like Mankind gave me nightmares as a kid. 
to be honest, I was the Undertaker. <laughs> so rewatching it now and going, I was scared of this back then, but I realized I probably wasn't the only person that was probably peeing themselves watching these guys wrestle. So, <laughs> so those were the two highlights for you. The oh, two yeah. kind of co-main events. Oh yes, the co-main events uh, all the way. I loved them. I mean. There, there's one match in particular that really kind of upset me when rewatching him. And I was really pissed off until I watched the other five shows and realized that we all had one of these matches. 95 and 96 is when the WWE started there. We're going to have a fatal four way tag match, but only two men can compete at one time. And you have to tag your opponents in. And I was like, come on, we just got over this crap with WrestleMania 13. And I go back and watch this show. Like, you got to be kidding me. And then I watched every other show, which has some form of this match. Oh, I got two of them, Paul. I got two. (laughs) You do have two. (laughs) And I'm like, aha, I'm not the only one that's got to deal with this garbage. (laughs) Anything else that stood out on rewatching, either good or bad? Opening match, Owen Hart. He's simply the greatest of all time. He wrestles with a broken arm. Nobody else had that kind of dedication. Not in 1996, anyway. Yeah, I don't know what Cowboy Bob Orton was doing back then, but... Um... <laughs> oh, no, they, 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 they were... That. Just they made sure Cowboy. his arm was broken at all times so that he could wrestle with it. Well, for whatever reason, we there's a point during the match. We have Mr. Perfect on commentary, which I don't think it ever happened before or since. And he points out how, well, the reason why Owen Hart's arm is still broken is because he keeps wrestling with it, McMahon. At one point, I think JR goes, he realized his arm has been broken for six months, right? Oh, my God, I love wrestling. So Paul's match is automatically at the bottom of our list because it has Vince McMahon commentary, right? I don't know. We have Mr. Perfect, so that automatically brings it up to the top. Although, if you want to feel better, landed the Boiler and Brawl for like half of it, there is no commentary. So you're it's just watching silent. two it's, men. It's literally a horror movie. <laughs> oh, no, no. It is not silent. It is the gruntiest match I've ever seen. Like, I, I want to give Adam Bibolo a copy and say, here, I submit you this for your Grunt Hall of Fame. The, the one thing about that Boiler match when I, I was watching this pay-per-view back is – they do like a, the bit of the introduction before the match and one of the interview guys is down there and he's looking for mankind and he says, there's all sorts down here. There's pipes and towels. <laughs> that is one of my, my favorite games to go back when we go watch any old, older, like 90s WWF. I'm just like, where's the weirdest place they're going to put Todd Pettengill? <laughs> There's a show in 94 where he does an interview with people in a hot tub. It's weird. Well, if you, if you swing that way, I mean, whatever floats your boat, you know. But <laughs> Start opening this up to the floor a little bit here. I just want to kick it off because this is the first time I've seen this show from start to finish. So I just thought I'd give it a brief one-sentence bit about each match. The opener was Savio Vega and Owen Hart which I kind of enjoyed because it was Owen Hart doing lots of my favorite Owen Hart things. Anytime he does this little, Woo! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think my favorite thing that he does is when he takes the cast off, he hits Savio Vega with it and then he pins him while putting it back on. Genius. And how does the ref not see that when it shows the, <laughs> the ref? I don't know. <laughs> like the, it's in the corner. Spencer, who ref that match? That's a great question, but the the point here to make 
is we all know that WWF officials are generally super keen, super alert, and always ready. So the fact that this one got fired was a big surprise. Yeah, right. London, are you implying that that was Mike Kyoda refing making his first appearance on the podcast? <laughs> Someone's been paying attention. I love it. I, love oh, I think it was Mike Kyoda. <laughs> Followed that up with it was a fatal four-way elimination tag team match for the tag titles. The new and improved Rockers. Oh God. <laughs> the body that, that, that's the that's a killer new tag team. Oh, oh, hang oh, on, hang on. Oh. We'll cut that. Allegedly. Allegedly. Has anyone seen Leaf? Has anyone seen Leaf? He is just waving his arms in the air like he does not care. He is having fun. Yeah, the other two teams are Godwins and the Smoking Guns. I thought it was a shame the two most interesting teams in this match got eliminated first, and then that meant <laughs> but we got left with the most 1996 WWF match possible. Yep. <laughs> yes, we got cowboys and farmers. Yay! I thought the most interesting part came after the match where they had the race to SummerSlam vignette. And oh my gosh. Since you guys brought up Vince McMahon and his commentary, did anybody spot Vince refusing to look down the camera introducing his segment? <laughs> <laughs> he was just looking up from corner to corner in the arena. It's almost like a. <laughs> Okay, pal, it's SummerSlam, but we're stuck in Cleveland. Look, it's a big arena. (laughs) Let me tell you, that Cleveland video was like 45 minutes long. It could not have been longer. It was ridiculous. Well, I mean, it couldn't have been that long, because did you see how fast the Godwings got in on that tram? (laughs) (laughs) The whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, like, why did you not cut this from the network? <laughs> like nobody. That was like when we watched WrestleMania 13, and they still had the in your house uh, vignette. So I'm like, why is this still on the show? That was 24 years ago, guys. It's not happening again. But whatever you do, don't buy a ticket to WrestleMania 14. Whatever oh, you do. God. <laughs> so cringeworthy. More on that on our uh, last Mania standing spinoff podcast. I will say though. I really want to introduce this next match because this next match is very near and dear to my heart. The British Bulldog versus Psycho Sid. Instant classic. This match had two power bombs in it. You're on a winner there. <laughs> oh, we had a lot of fun talking about Mr. Sid at WrestleMania 13. I thoroughly enjoyed his performance tonight. He appeared to actually show up and not be thinking about softball. That's very true. And it was a perfect example of how over he was back in 1996. They loved him. I don't understand why. <laughs> Look, you put Simon Dean out there with a firework D-E-A-N, you're going to like him. <laughs> well, honestly, I feel like in 96, you could have put anybody with Davey and they would have had a good match. After that, we had Goldust versus Wildman Mark Miro. Really weird kind of plain wrestling match that was notable for the debut of The Wild Thing. JR goes, yes, Mark said he's going to debut The Wild Thing. I asked him what it was. He said, Jim, you'll know when you see it. And then the camera conveniently misses it as they scream about how it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> well, he didn't even win Wasn't the match it? with it. So what's the point? <laughs> 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 So, correct me if I'm wasn't it the TKO? Isn't it the TKO? No, no, no. He no. does a shooting star press, but we don't get to see it. Oh, it's a shooting star press. Okay. 
It, it's Sable that does the TKO. Matt Miro did it as well, which is where Sable got it from, but I guess right, it didn't okay. really have a name. Yeah, this match is more notable for for mankind calling Sable his mommy. <laughs> mommy, yeah. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> it's so creepy. <laughs> I'd get the WWF magazine when I started out as a fan, and they'd show like all the old covers of the back issues, and there was the one with mankind in gold dust slap calling him mommy and stuff i'm like what have oh. i missed in wrestling here <laughs> look 96 was a very very strange year yes it was another case of this is the filler segment we had next where farouk in his weird gladiator jersey oh. had to cut a promo about ahmed vacating the intercontinental title allegedly he hurt ahmed on purpose that's the, that's the story that we've heard a thousand times. After rewatching the footage, I don't know. That kick looked like he was aiming for his kidneys, just saying. However, I think it was less of that. I think more of Ron Simmons being outraged by the ridiculous outfit he had to wear. And then after that, we got three matches that were the crux of our conversation earlier, really. Jerry Lawler taking on Jake Roberts in a really strange, dreadful match where Jake mm-hmm. actually treated it like a real grudge match, but Lawler treated it like a comedy match. Well, what got me is that his little pre-match introduction is longer than the actual match, where he just mocks Cleveland for about five minutes, and then he just keeps pulling out comically large bottles of champagne. There's a reason why Jake had a relapse after this show. Semi-main event, as we mentioned earlier, the Boiler Room Brawl, Mankind against The Undertaker. I really liked this match. It was a really weird stipulation where it was like a race to get back to the ring and take the burn off Paul Bearer. And they don't tell us that. It's not until about halfway through the match where they start trying to run back to the ring that they tell us, oh, by the way, whoever retrieves the urn wins. Who made the that ruling? The thing of them going back to the ring was you got to see all the CRT monitors that the crowd were having <laughs> to watch this match on. <laughs> oh, so cringy. <laughs> but yeah, what I really liked is, I know Kyle was poking fun a bit of how Todd Pettingo spotted all the towels, but the <laughs> weapons in the boiler room were actually things you expected in the boiler room. And it wasn't until you got one of the biggest pops of the night where Taker sat up and avoided the ladder falling on him. That was great. Um, That was a really good spot. And that's really the first time that you realized, oh, they'd actually planned the layout of some of these weapons here. It felt really kind of naturalistic, like they were just finding things to hand and stuff. It definitely felt a lot more fun than some of the more modern matches that like that where it's just it's shot cinematically and it just doesn't make any sense. This felt like I think they had what two cameras for this. Most of it is like one long just shot and it just it's like they go deeper into the boiler room and they start making their way back. They had some technical difficulties at one point, but they got another camera in there pretty quickly. But for the most part, like I said before, this match is just a car crash, but it's the good kind of you can't like stop watching it. I'm impressed you knew what a snuff film was at age six, by the way, Paul. (laughs) I was very young. I probably should not have been allowed to watch this. (laughs) The headline match for the WWF title, Shawn Michaels against Vader. The only thing that really held this back was the double restart spot. Vader wins by DQ and then he wins by count out. The action besides that was really, really good. Only two other spots of note were the infamous temper tantrum where Sean just treads on Vader's head when he doesn't roll out of the way for the elbow. 
And when Vader won for the second time and they played his music, Jim Cornette cried, Cut that stinking music off! Jim Cornette's <laughs> voice just grinds. Just, oh, God. So I actually didn't mind the double restart. I think if it's overdone, then yeah, it's terrible. It's horrible. 96, this was maybe something maybe a little bit new. And so it really added to the drama. I actually really liked Jim Cornette calling Shawn Michaels out and saying, if you're going to be a real champion, then you'll restart the match right now and win this thing fair and square. I, 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 I mean, for me, that worked with the, with the DQ. But for the count out, I was like one of those like – Come on, can we just get through this, please? But like that last fall is pretty quick. Like they restart and then the match kind of ends. Right. Yeah, you kind of have to do it. If you're going to double down, then you got to have to finish it pretty quick after that. But I actually quite enjoyed it. My favorite part of this match is actually Shawn Michaels' entrance, where a fan jumps the barricade, hugs him, and then if you watch very carefully, you can see security tackle him to the ground. No, no, no. She she kisses him. And then she got carried away by security right after that. Don't worry, folks. She's getting all the help she needs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. That was a little cringy, but the in-ring act for this match is phenomenal. I was halfway expecting, because I'd always heard the the talk about Sean throwing his tamper tantrum. Yeah, he does, but like the rest of the match, you can't really tell that he's pissed off and doesn't want to work with Leon here. They just kind of go hell for leather, and it's a lot of fun to watch. But One thing I kind of liked was the way they followed up to that next month at Mind Games, where they kind of had a spot where... Michaels and Mankind kind of disagree on an Irish whip or something, and Sean gets all pissy, like, come on! And you're like, oh, oh is it a work yeah. or is it a shoot? Mick actually said they planned it. They said, you know what, we're just going to we're gonna have an intentionally blown spot, and that way the fans, because they were in Philly, the fans won't chant ECW, they'll be paying attention to our match. And I'm like, that made sense in 96, but when you watch that in modern day, you're like, what's going on here? Overall, really, I'm kind of similar to you, Paul. This show's carried by its two co-main events of our also kind of like the opener as well. Yeah, any other thoughts on this show? I would just like to just quickly agree, Kyle, and say that Jim Cornette makes my skin crawl. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pretty sure he makes everyone's skin crawl. I will say, though, just in closing on this show, I love this show. I know it's like it's not flawless. It's basically a two match show. But I feel like these two matches are so much fun. And I feel like they hold up even with the double restart. The actual in-ring action of the main event is a lot of fun. I would put it up against anything from the last few years. And the Bowling Brawl is just, as I said before, it's just it's an amazing like just car crash booking. Whoa, my gosh, what are they going to do next? And what are they going to use as a weapon? It's just a lot of fun. We see hot coffee used as a weapon. When's the last time we saw hot coffee in wrestling? I seem to recall a bit with hot tea and Chris Jericho and William Regal. You do not besmirch soil to commission this tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, thanks for nominating that one. We're going to jump ahead a bit more in time here, all the way over to King of the Ring 2001. Kyle, this was your pick. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with this show. As we've mentioned in a previous episode, so Unforgiven 98 was kind of my jumping on point. So by the time we get to King of the Ring 2001, I've sort of been in the business quite a bit. So I, I kind of know what's what's going on 
And I remember this being one of the first pay-per-views that I was able to record. I liked it so much that I ended up buying the double VHS. So on one side was King of the Ring and on the other side was taking it to extremes, which was this highlight reel of the Dudley Boys, Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian matches, like the, the ladder matches and the TLCs. So it was quite cool VHS set. I remember when I was first watching the pay-per-view and I was going through the matches and I had this kind of huge fandom of Edge and Christian and I was kind of rooting for Edge all the way through this pay-per-view. He's going to win the King of the Ring. He's going to win the King of the Ring. And, you know, to see that come to fruition was quite cool. And the street fight is the other thing for me, you know, the, the highlight. I mean, what a match. I can just watch that over and over again. I've watched it twice since we planned this show, just that match. That's the reason that I liked the pay-per-view, rooting for Edge and the street fight was kind of the, the cherry on top for me. Has your perception of this changed at all since you first were a fan of it? Yeah, there's quite a, quite a bit that, that sort of changed. When that first came out, you don't really get the sort of background of everything, whereas you do now in the modern era, you kind of you hear what's happening backstage, what's going on, whereas back then it kind of, what happened on the screen was what you were getting yourselves into. So... The big thing for me was like the DDP Taker storyline. Watching it back, knowing the ins and outs of it, and DDP wasn't happy with that storyline. And like knowing all this information now, watching it back, you can kind of see that come across a little bit. Again, with the street fight, the infamous glass spot. Oh, yes. They'd put the wrong glass in. They put hardened glass in instead of uh, the breakaway <laughs> substitute. And again, no. Knowing this information, you know, when you watch it back again, you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> the noise that Shane's head makes just makes me feel sick every time. Oh, I know. It's bad, isn't it? Yeah. Gentlemen, you guys have included this match in your 100 greatest matches of all time list. It's far and away the best match on this show. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. I think it's the best match on the show, but I do have to just commend Kurt Angle for his work all night long. He competed yeah. in several matches on that card, and he gave his 100% everything he had every time. And it just the fact that he was able to walk into the street fight and put on the performance he did is why it made it on our list. Yeah, that, oh, yeah. that and it is one of the most rewatchable matches in history, let alone just in the five shows that we're covering today. It is just hugely rewatchable, brutal and violent and just fun the whole time. To add to Angle, he also got concussed in the Christian match. So early. Yeah, to be concussed in that match and still go through all the other matches, that's incredible. And break his tailbone in the middle of the street yeah. fight and still finish yeah. it. I think I broke my tailbone. Well, I was going to say, like, to kind of piggyback off what you're saying about the show in general, like, just the more we learn about the backstage, the more fascinating that match is, because, like, we come to find out how Vince McMahon was on the verge of tears because they wouldn't stop. (laughs) He thought his son was going to get killed. And then he's like, stop the match. And I stand by what I said at the time of recording. If he wanted the match stop that bad, then Mike Chioda should have counted the pinfall on the podium, but I think it's because he didn't want to count on the glass. So he made Kurt Angle, broken tailbone and all, carry him back on that anvil case. 
surprisingly as well, this pay-per-view is actually up there high on my rankings. It doesn't include Triple H. No, it does not. <laughs> Which is insane. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually on our list of shows in the Tape Trader Diaries. We're going to end up doing a full episode on this at some point. Kyle, I borrowed that double VHS set from yeah. you. So I've got good memories of this show as well. All round likable card. Just briefly run down the card for those of you who haven't seen it. The King of the Ring tournament, the two semi finals. Kurt Angle beat Christian and Edge beat Rhino, and then Edge won in the final. WWF tag team title match for Dudley Boys beat the makeshift team of Spike and Kane. A match that really took me by surprise, actually. It was um, fun and, seeing yeah. Kane with Spike Dudley. I mean, they kind of threw smaller guys at Kane and were just like, hey, be a tag team. Hey, be a tag team. And it was really <laughs> fun to see what they were able to do together. It's the craziest mix you've ever seen, but it was fun. Yeah, definitely. I, I like the interplay of the characters there. It was really good continuity. Spike, he wanted to fight his battle with Kane and not have Kane fight his battle for him. I thought that played out really well in the match. We also had the light heavyweight championship match. Jeff Hardy retained against X-Pac. Another really enjoyable match. Kyle mentioned that all of these shows that we're looking at today are blighted by a bit of filler. This show's was the infamous DDP stalker angle going Ugh. after The Undertaker and his wife. Took up a big chunk of time in this show, which is one of the things that kind of held it back. The best thing with this, though, is when Taker's music hit, and he's slowly walking to the ring. You hear JR saying, put your children to bed, folks. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, he takes his time. He gently strolls to the ring. Yeah. And then to kill time, then he slowly puts the gloves on. And I'm like, Jesus, Mark, we're on a time clock here, buddy. <laughs> in the ring now. I know you don't want to work with DDP, but he doesn't want to work with you either. Get over with us. I mean, hopefully nobody put their kids to bed because they missed out on the two best matches of the show. The street fight with Kurt Angle beat Shane McMahon, absolutely blinding match. And then the show was main evented by a triple threat match for the WWF title. Stone Cold retained against Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho. Yeah, just an all-round likable show. I don't know whether any of you guys want to interject with any thoughts. I well, love I the main event. That's that's not something that I think about when I think of this show. So just to get that as a little treat after the Shane McMahon, Kurt Angle, is you've got Steve Austin in there with the tag team champions, if I remember correctly. Clearly, like they were going in as if it was going to be a handicap match. And the way it all breaks down is just flawless storytelling from the three of those guys. You couldn't have put a better trio in the ring to main event King of the Ring. It was a joy to watch. What I really enjoyed about that main event was the debut of Booker T. And people were like, oh, what's he doing here? But I don't know if it's just been sweetened audio. But when he shows up, the fans kind of go crazy for him. Like, oh, man, Booker T's here. What's going to happen? And then we go on to find that he actually broke Steve's hand and, like, fucked up one of his vertebrae. So it's like, oh, no, our injured champion. <laughs> and he, like, he goes on to win the match. I do just want to add that anything that you have on a double VHS is going to have some great memories. So this was just a great show. <laughs> Yeah, and if I remember rightly, with Jericho and Benoit, I'm sure 
the SmackDown before this pay-per-view, Stone Cold cost them the belt, and I'm sure the Dudleys win the belt off them. Because they, they obviously defend it earlier in the pay-per-view, don't they? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was either the yeah. Raw that smacked him before. It was one of the go-home shows, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the Booker T thing, great moment for the show. The only thing about that was it caused the match to suffer at the end. Stone Cold was just so knackered that the, the spot at the end where they did the back suplex and Jericho moved his arm and that rope, Benoit off with his neck injury that had to be the finish of the match just because Austin was just completely out of commission yeah that table spot really messed him up that kind of hampered the main event a little bit but like I say very enjoyable show on to our next pick this comes from me this is another show that me and Kyle have done an episode on already it's SummerSlam 2002 this was a show that Kyle recorded I managed to borrow from him right around when we just started school again. Wore it out over and over again. Kyle, as the guy with Sky, would often record shows from the telly and let me borrow them until the next time that he'd go and record a show from the telly. I wound up having this tape up until our next show that's going to be on our list that we'll discuss later on. This is just one of the greatest pay-per-view cards of all time in the WWF for me. Right slap bang in the middle of WWF slash WWE's most transformative year with a great roster that was made even more exciting for being in constant flux. Two aspects that really drew me in were the return of an old face I hadn't seen before in Shawn Michaels and a new face kind of ascending up to the title picture in Brock Lesnar. For me, if your worst match of the night is Ric Flair versus Chris Jericho, you've done something right. Yeah. And Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio, you had one of the best opening matches on pay-per-view ever. Unreal pace, energy, technique, off-the-chart wrestling sequences. You also had Eddie Guerrero and Edge in another good match that was highlighting the in-ring class of SmackDown at the time. We're on the dawn of the SmackDown 6 here. Great intercontinental title match between Benoit and RVD that was a really good styles clash that forced each man out of their box a little bit. So Benoit had to be more agile. Rob Van Dam had to be more aggressive. A great main event with Brock defeating The Rock for the undisputed title really made him look so good going toe-to-toe with a megastar like The Rock and he came out like an absolute monster. But the crown jewel of this show for me Another match you guys have covered in your 100 Greatest Matches. Triple H versus Shawn Michaels in an unsanctioned fight. One of the few matches I'd give a perfect score to, really. I went into this match wanting to cheer Triple H. Of course you did. Of course you did, yeah. (laughs) I was a bit jaded with how many older wrestlers were coming back and returning. So I wasn't sold 100% on Shawn's comeback. I came out of that match hating Triple H with an absolute passion. It made me such a believer in Shawn Michaels. Tip-top selling and stories telling all around from all involved. Not only the two wrestlers, but Earl Hebner as the referee and the commentary team as well. It's hard for me to name a match that I've suspended my disbelief for as hard as that. Well said. I think this is top to bottom 
the greatest card the WWE ever put together. And I think that's unarguable. Like, if you go back and watch the show, every single match is solid. I would agree that it's one of the best opening matches, Kurt Angle, Rey Mysterio. I mean, unbelievable, especially considering what they do four years later. They main event WrestleMania, and the match isn't as good as this one. And there are several matches. You could pretty much just go down the entire card. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal pay-per-view. For me, kind of going back to the Triple H Shawn Michaels match, when I watched this show, I watched this show live. I didn't know who Shawn Michaels was. I was like, who's this guy? A month ago, he was like the spokesperson for the NWO, and now he's wrestling and it's a big deal. So watching it at 12, not knowing who he was, and then when the match was over, I'm like, this guy might be the greatest of all time. And my opinions may have changed a lot in the, in the few years. But at the time, I was like, nobody can touch this guy. And Triple H was just coming off of this like six month long face run. And now he's the most hated man in the business. And that would pretty much continue for the rest of his career. Yeah, you know what I think? And really, this is just exactly to your point, Duncan, is that it's hard for me to imagine a lot more instances where there's a more complete full and believable story that's told than in that street fight. You know, I obviously make no secret about how much I love this match, but the whole card from top to bottom is a who's who. The number of Hall of Famers, when everything is said and done, that are going to come out of this card is a number that probably won't be matched by anything other than maybe, you know, Rumbles, like 92 that has a million and one Hall of Famers in just the one match. But just really an incredible pay-per-view from top to bottom. And to top it off with crowning the next big thing in Brock Lesnar, I think is incredible, incredible storytelling. It's poetic. Mm-hmm. But I think you said that you watched the match via Sky Sports. It was reported, so you watched it on a videotape, but that's how, like, it, it so the way we order pay-per-views back in 2002 was we would call up our cable companies like DirecTV or whoever we had, and we'd say, we want to watch this. And so they would unlock that channel and we would pay the $50. So how does that work via Sky Sports? Well, Sky Sports is already like a premium sports package as it is. So you only have that if you're a particular premium satellite subscriber. And yeah, they just put it on live on the main Sky Sports channel back then. But around about this time, this was when we started switching over to pay-per-view over here as well 2000 and 2001 channel 4 which is one of our terrestrial tv channels they got the rights to show some wwf pay-per-views live for free and when their deal ran out sitanta who were this irish sports firm they got the rights instead and they actually put the four shows that channel 4 would show on pay-per-view instead of showing them for free Hmm. Yeah, I think it was roughly around 2003 where we it became like a, a one-off purchase. Before that, mm. we were able to just get it on, on our like package, Sky Sports package. It's absolutely fascinating. We I don't know that we had really anything like that. I mean, that, no. like a premium package mm-hmm. channel like that. That you could get that, you know, things like WWF. Anyway, fascinating. Really, since Sky's inception, the WWF had been there, and it's only just this year that they've switched over to BT Sports instead. Oh, wow. 
the stuff that BT Sport are doing now with WWE, it seems so much better than what the deal they had with Sky. Mm. Definitely getting way more stuff. Yeah, in the later days, WWE were really kind of hampered with the way Sky kind of rebranded their sports packages. So in the old days, you just have the sports channels would be Sky Sports 1, 2, 3, Extra, whatever. WWE got relegated to like free and extra quite late on in their deal. Uh... And then after that, Sky rebranded all of their channels. So all of their cinema channels were specialist channels, and they did the same for the sports as well. So they had dedicated Premier League channels, cricket, rugby, seasonal channels, like for when it was the F1 season and things like that. And WWE would kind of flit around between Sky Sports Arena and something else, I think, as well. But in general, it just kind of like floated around and their viewing figures went way down because I think people just got sick of trying to figure out and, and PVR wherever it was. It's amazing. You forget like television is a business. And so whenever there's a disruption to something like that, it can really hinder someone's access to things like WWE pay-per-views. It's, it's something you don't always think about. Obviously, over here, we've just been so used to, after you, the call stage, we would just go through and click it. And that's always been an option for us. And so that's just, it's fascinating. And it's obviously kind of, now with the with the network, it makes it so easy to watch all the pay-per-views. Well, yeah, exactly. It was, one of, it was one of the big motivations for doing this tape trader diaries series, really. Just trying to go back to a time where you needed a bit more permanence to enjoy a show. You know, it, it was being broadcast then. You had to go in and grab it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to enjoy it until it got its home video release or whatever. Months later, usually. Oh, yeah, and we were so behind in the UK. I'd always get SummerSlam for Christmas because it would be out by late November or something like that. Wow. It's got a lot better now that Fremantle are doing the distribution deal. They're only about a a few weeks behind the US home video people. You know, now that it doesn't matter and everyone just uses the network, but hey-ho. Right. (laughs) (laughs) On to our next show... Another show that Kyle recorded off the telly for me, Kyle actually recorded the replay of this. So there's a bunch of filler in this show that I did not have to suffer through because um, <laughs> it was a replay and they inserted commercials in. And so they got oh, a couple no. of things. Spencer, this is your pick. Another favourite of mine, actually. Survivor Series 2002. Tell us about what made you want to nominate this show. Yeah, you know, it's it's a show that I revisit once every couple of years now, just because I love it from top to bottom. And it's a show that is the first DVD I was ever gifted in terms of wrestling. I had a, a buddy that kind of introduced me to wrestling when I was, I don't know, 10 years old or so. We took a trip to GameStop, which is our one of those chain. Right, exactly. That's how you know it's an old story. Because yeah. it's GameStop, and it's a, it's a chain that sells video games, but they also used to sell DVDs. And his mom said, pick out a wrestling DVD and, and yeah. I'll, buy, I'll buy it for you. So Peggy, if you're out there, thanks so much for Survivor Series 2002. This show from top to bottom is an interesting, interesting show. We're only a couple months removed from SummerSlam 2002. So it's only a six match card. There's not a lot on it, but the matches that are on it are, are big time matches. Five of the six 
matches are championship matches, and in every single one, the belt changes hands, which is interesting. The opening match is the only non-title match of the night, and it's a six-man elimination tables match. And it's Bubba Ray and Spike Dudley teaming with Jeff Hardy versus Three Minute Warning and Rico. Kind of random, especially looking back at it now, you know, 18 years later. But it's a really, really fun start. They're in Madison Square Garden. They take advantage of the arena. Ultimately, the Dudley boys and Jeff Hardy win thanks to Devon coming out to make a save for Bubba, which was a big deal at the time because they had been separated in the brand split. We go on to a cruiserweight championship match between Jamie Noble and Billy Kidman. You know, seven and a half minutes of really good cruiserweight action. The highlight for me for that second match of the night is Taz, because when Jamie Noble does a dive through the ropes, he says, Jamie Noble's got something up his sleeves. But he's not wearing a shirt, so he has no sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's really the analysis I was looking for. <laughs> Is that before or after he was singing What's Love Got to Do With It by <laughs> Tina Turner? I think that was after. Yeah. <laughs> Taz, the, you know, the main event here is fantastic. Something that I really appreciate that about the show is the next match is actually a women's championship match, but it's a hardcore match between Trish Stratus and Victoria. And so for 2002, it's a little unexpected to have this type of match on this card. And yes, there is some like good housekeeping kind of stuff, right? They use an ironing board and a broom. And so that's stupid, but kendo sticks, fire extinguishers, different stuff like that. Garbage cans are used. And, you know, for 10 year old Spencer watching this hardcore women's match, it was way more than I ever expected it to be. And really interesting. And I think Victoria doesn't necessarily get enough credit for how good she was especially during this 2002-2006 time or so. Oh, no, she's great. Something that I forgot, like going back to revisit the show, is the WWE Championship match. Like, I know what happened, I know exactly what happened, but what I forgot was that it was only four minutes long. Brock Lesnar defends his WWE Championship against the Big Show, and the build for that match is Paul Heyman's basically afraid that Lesnar can't beat Big Show, and then Lesnar gets a broken rib, and he's just super, super concerned. And so he tells Lesnar, he says, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure my client leaves with the WWE Championship. And he just wasn't oh. wrong. Exactly. What, what you don't realize at the time, of course, is that he has switched clients. And so he turns on Lesnar, and in a four-minute match, it's a big moment, and Big Show wins the title, which, I mean, not that anyone's remembering anything about that Big Show title reign after that. But in the moment, Survivor Series 2002, it's a pretty good moment. Match number five, we get that SmackDown 6 that we referenced earlier, right? I mean, just listen to this triple threat elimination tag team match for the WWE tag titles. We've got Edge and Rey Mysterio versus Angle and Benoit versus Eddie and Chavo Guerrero. They wrestled 20 minutes. They could have wrestled an hour. I would not have cared. So good. Ultimately, the Guerreros win the title. Angle and Benoit have a really good story about not being able to work together despite being the champs off and on. You know, this is what leads to their Royal Rumble match in 2003. That is just ridiculous. We have some filler, kind of like Duncan mentioned earlier. We have a lot of filler between that fifth match and the main event where we sort of get a segment where Scott Steiner debuts to basically come out and, and spoil Matt Hardy and Chris Nowinski's good time. Yeah, what was that? Yeah, you know, it's a thing that happened. It is that a was thing a big, that happened. Big bad booty daddy. <laughs> Have a yeah. fucking mic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that tremendously, actually. I remember them 
advertising that he was going to be on the show. So I guess this was their way of getting him on the show, even though he didn't have a brand yet. He didn't really have anywhere to hang his hat. They, they, you know, they just had to have him come in and beat someone up, and he was incredibly over for it. I think if you're going to have Skiner, Steiner come in and beat people up, Chris Nowinski always had a really punchable face, so it worked really well. <laughs> but the main event, and I think this is what drew me to select this DVD to begin with, was the first ever Elimination Chamber match for the World Heavyweight Championship. You've got Chris Jericho, Kane, Booker T, Rob Van Dam, Triple H, and the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. And a couple of things I remember from this. One of them is that it's got one of the better video packages ever with saliva playing always in the background oh, uh, of that video package. They played um, it live, right? They played it live they from did New York. Play it live. They played it live early in the show, and then they actually play Chris Jericho out to the ring. So I just really love that video package just because I can remember coming off of SummerSlam 2002 you know, hating Triple H for the sledgehammer shots, and it's put so perfectly into the video package leading up to this Elimination Chamber match. And it's a match that goes 40 minutes. It doesn't feel necessarily like 40 minutes to me, but there's some really good moments. Rob Van Dam with a frog splash from the top of the chamber that ultimately crushes Triple H's throat. You know, not super great for Triple H, but he does finish the match the rest of the way, which is a testament to him. Kane throws Jericho through the chamber. Uh, and you have to remember, this is the first elimination chamber, right? So some of these things that we see a lot of throughout the years, especially as we get more and more chamber matches, is brand new to 10-year-old Spencer, right? So he's super, super blown away by, well, by Kane in that also, match. So this is also the first iteration of the chamber. It looks almost unidentical to what we get now. Yeah. Well, now it's actually safe. Because <laughs> I gotta tell you something, they're talking about how unforgiving the steel is as Triple H gets back body dropped into it and the sound that his back makes when he hits that steel grate like made my teeth grind. I'm like, oh and I look at the match time, I'm like, oh there's like thirty-eight minutes left of this. Oh, I don't know if I can watch this. <laughs> I think it's really fun when Bischoff comes to the ring before the match starts and he's like beating all over it with a pipe to make it sound you know, bad, but it just sounds like a cheap pipe because it sounds really plastic. He didn't need to sell the chamber. Triple H getting backdrop in the first 30 seconds sold the chamber <laughs> as this is unforgiving. Because yeah. when he hits that, he yeah. pops up and he's already got like the griddle marks on him. He's like, oh no, what have I done? The OCD in me really hated that Bischoff segment. Because I was just really, really anxious about, you're going to chip the paint job! That's <laughs> 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 oh, so good. A couple other just sort of highlights, I guess, in the main event. Rob Van Dam does this sort of Spider-Man move, right, that Lawler names. And it's just him sort of diving from the turnbuckle, holds on to the cage, and then bounces back at Jericho. And that was a really, really cool moment. But ultimately, Shawn Michaels hits a great super kick, falls right on Triple H for the three count and a world heavyweight championship win. As an 11-year-old, 10-year-old, whatever, watching Shawn Michaels get his revenge for SummerSlam, but also hearing the fact that he apparently wasn't wrestling for four or five years before this, right? And obviously I know that now, but as a kid, I was so unaware. So the fact that I knew that he had climbed this mountain to regain the world title despite wearing the ugliest brown gear and the mom cut that is the worst oh, of all time. Oh, God. He had his uh, AJ Styles haircut. It's so bad. 
It's not I'm great, just but he's soccer mom. Soccer mom. <laughs> <laughs> the soccer mom vibes were real. Uh, that's absolutely true. But Chong wins the world title, and everybody goes home happy. There's confetti everywhere. Jr. is thrilled. He's losing his voice. It's a good time. And ultimately, what I consider one of my favorite shows of all time. Fantastic rundown there, Spencer. I line up with you a lot here. There's not a bad match on this card. Just a rubber neck on a couple of your points there. I thought this was kind of cool that it was a Survivor Series without a traditional Survivor Series match. But yeah. A lot of the featured matches had the same kind of running themes. So like the six-man tag team table thing was basically a Survivor Series match just with tables exclusively. And then you have the, the tag title match that was an elimination match as well. And of course, the Elimination Chamber highlighted a lot of the same themes that you generally get at a Survivor Series. The women's title match that you brought up, yeah, really appreciated the physicality there. This was around the time when Finley came on board as a trainer and the women were really responding to his training and they were getting rewarded with some more interesting stipulations like this. And it was really nice to watch. The WWE title change with Brock Wrestling Big Show, just an amazing spectacle. Just seeing him throw Big Show around like that was just unreal. Even, you know, slacks and all. Oh, such a bad look. And he had his like weird Fu Manchu. Oh, but man. it made Lesnar look all the more uh, like a monster, right? For being able to throw not just Big Show, but his pants as well. So really important. <laughs> <laughs> but it Absolutely. was. It was it was a spectacle. It was so impressive and it was so unexpected because you just saw how much time they spent building him up and letting the rock essentially pass the torch what three months before this and so yep. no one would have thought that big show would have walked away with the belt here absolutely not this is a classic paul Heyman situation where he kind of negotiates someone over from raw and the writers on raw are like what the fuck do you want him for and <laughs> this is what you want him for you get thrown around by brock lesnar you get something unbelievable that you never thought you'd see exactly the tag title match, I really appreciated the Guerreros used the title belts in both falls to actually win the title belts. Man, doesn't that just reinforce who they oh, are? It man. was really, really well done. The real birth of Los Guerreros here. Yeah. And then, like you say, the main event, what a great way to get over a new gimmick. Rob Van Dam in particular, but I also got to give a shout out to Kane sending Jericho through the plexiglass and the all that you hear from the crowd in that you can see Kane step away from the walkway heading over to Triple H and he can't hide the grin on his face that it got so <laughs> over like I think he forgot oh, yeah. that, I think he forgot that his mask doesn't have the jawline anymore and people right. can see <laughs> and it's so good because Jerry Lawler says well, I thought that glass was supposed to be bulletproof but I guess it wasn't Kane proof right yeah <laughs> iconic uh, I love how like everyone always talks about how Shawn Michaels is all in, in all these crazy matches, but people forget that Kane's in a lot of these multi-man matches too. He always stands out. Jericho as well. He's a good kind of glue person. He was involved so much in all of the eliminations, making sure the match flowed. You know, he must have been communicating with Triple H a lot about his throat being fucked. Yeah, he had to kind of be like the mouthpiece, like, hey guys. I'm going to kind of be the ring general here. And if that's the case, then like props to Jericho, who I don't think ever gets enough credit. 
any other thoughts before we move on and, and save it for the ranking? It was amazing. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> yeah, actually, one thought that I had whenever I started watching this, just the memories started flooding back in. And I remember, Spencer, this was the first VHS tape that I rented from a actual like VHS rental store right around the corner from my dad's house. I would go every time I would go to my dad's, we would stop by a VHS store and I would go pick like three or four to watch over the weekend. And this is the first wrestling tape I ever watched. Man, that's just good stuff. You picked a good one. It was so good. <laughs> Kyle, anything else to close up? No, I, everything that I was going to say has already been mentioned. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent show. We'll see how it lands when we get to the ranking. Our final show, the most recent chronologically, WrestleMania 20. Landon, this was your pick. Now, I'm going to be interested here. Was this a VHS or was this a DVD like Spencer's pick? This was absolutely a VHS. So let me give you the story. I met my best friend in sixth grade as I suppose we all meet our best friend in sixth grade. You just kind of got sat next to them in biology class and you're like, hi, I guess we're friends now. My best friend, Darren, all throughout middle school. And I just sat next to him and he just happened to be uh, a wrestling fan. And so we became fast friends because I was watching, but I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. And so, you know, every day after Raw and SmackDown, back then SmackDown was on Thursdays. So on Fridays, we could talk about it. And it just helped me dive into the product on a whole new level, you know? It was the foundation of our friendship. And that year, Darren recorded WrestleMania 20 because try as I might, I was not able to convince my parents to spend $50 or $40 or whatever it was on WrestleMania. It just wasn't happening at that point. And so he recorded it on VHS and he let me borrow it so we could talk about it. And oh my God, I had never seen anything like it. First of all, it was my first WrestleMania. I had just kind of started watching full time, as you might say. And so this was the first WrestleMania to come around for me. And the staging was incredible. I wasn't used to this type. I mean, you know, you saw your backlashes with the and, and everything, but this was just incredible. I loved the screen that you could see across from the hard camera with like, this is Madison Square Garden. So they had that across from the hard camera. They had those screens that sort of had the match slide deck throughout the whole show. So good. I was a huge Randy Orton fan, so getting to see him with Evolution beat the Rock and Sock Connection was a big plus for me. I had never experienced a four plus hour straight wrestle watch before, so that was just pure joy. I do remember watching it on my brand new TV in my bedroom, and so let's go back to 2004, right? Brand new TV meant it was about the size of a small oven, but it was a big deal because it came with a built-in VHS DVD player side by side. And that was a big deal to me because I was used to watching wrestling on my old TV, which is literally like a 10 inch screen. So it added to the magic too. I'm probably, but yeah, I, I remember WrestleMania 20, like the back of my hand highlights, obviously John Cena winning the first singles championship of his run, the U S championship in the opening match. The announced teams, JR and King for the Raw matches, Taz and Michael Cole for SmackDown. 
I don't know what it was about these guys. They just mesh so well together, right? I mean, they did as teams, but also like the cross promotional matches, maybe they could mix up. It, it was it was a big deal having the lines of Raw and SmackDown blurred on this card, right? Because you had Kane versus The Undertaker. Yeah. It was really cool kind of seeing them all in the same place at the same time. Booker T and Rob Van Dam retained their tag belts on this card. I remember not necessarily loving them together. They just sort of fell into the creative has nothing for you, so yeah. you're just going to be a tag team trapped. Creative um, has the worst theme music for us they have. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can oh, you so dig it? What of a guy? <laughs> oh, God. God, you know. <laughs> just blow an air horn, why don't you? <laughs> one thing WWE did in 2004 better than anyone was storylines. Regardless of if there was a championship involved or not, they had the greatest stories to tell in the wrestling business. And I don't think anybody's even come close to what they were doing around this time. Because the next match was Christian versus Chris Jericho. And this was just so good. The great twist ending, which, I mean, that probably added another three or four months to the story. I mean, it was just so great, so genius. And Lita was actually my favorite wrestler at the time. So the fact that she was, you know, not necessarily involved in the card, but she was sort of mixed up in the storyline just kind of captured my attention even more. I already mentioned the handicap match with Evolution and Rock and Sock Connections. I think that's an excellent match. There was a Playboy evening gown match. Let's just leave that there. The Cruiserweight <laughs> Open. The Cruiserweight Open was a bit of fun. It essentially played out like a, a gauntlet match with Chavo coming in at the end to retain the belt. Oh, but I do remember on my VHS copy that was recorded live. Uh, so if you go back and watch the network, it's all edited out. But oh my God, on the VHS, I swear I laughed so hard I, could, I, I couldn't breathe. So the match starts out with Shannon Moore and Ultimo Dragon. But Ultimo Dragon's music hits and he runs out and straight up just slips on his cape and face plants. And I remember I just died. I was so excited to see Ultimo Dragon and he just like, whoop. So now if you go back and watch it on the network, I think it's like mega zoomed out in the crowd. So you can kind of see like a little ant movement of the slip. But no, it was so fucking funny. Next was Brock versus Goldberg, which should have been the greatest thing any of us had ever seen. Well, all I can say about this match is uh, this is where I stopped watching WrestleMania 20, and I had to come back another day. (laughs) Everyone knew they were leaving, so we kind of just got what we got. I like the fact that sort of the crowd had the last laugh with Steve Austin stunning them both anyway. So, you know, they did what they could. I think they did a decent job redeeming themselves at WrestleMania here recently so i think did you guys you guys recorded uh wrestlemania what was it 32 right it's 33 with brock and goldberg again it was 33 and, yeah <laughs> much much better than this match definitely <laughs> well, like, I, th- I think like what bothers me about this match is it's like what 10 minutes it feels like 30 the last like minute and a half is actually pretty fun but it took so long to get there that everybody was like, no, nah, fuck these two. I don't want to watch them anymore. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. They had, like, what, a five-minute lockup? No, uh, 
seven minutes of just staring at each other. Yeah, like, was, you're not the Rock and Hulk Hogan. You cannot pull that off. <laughs> it's an interesting study in contrast, really, of people going out the door. These are two guys that were finishing up. They could not be fucked to do anything whatsoever from an in-ring standpoint. You contrast that with Rock earlier on in the night. This was his last hurrah, and he was really mixing it up in there with Batista in particular, making sure that they looked really impressive and stuff. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to say that The Rock is more of a professional than Brock and Goldberg, but he definitely was on this night. Yeah. Another less than exciting four-way tag title match. Rikishi and Scotty retaining with on that one. I don't know. It's not too much to say on that one for me. Molly Holly versus Victoria. Hair versus title. So great. We talked, Spencer, you talked about how underrated Victoria is. I think Molly Holly is every bit as underrated. Totally agree. And so putting them together makes for a great match at WrestleMania. I mean, because around this time... You were seeing Trish Stratus win the belt and then Lita win the belt and then Trish Stratus win the belt. And so having Victoria have this really great run with the women's title was really a breath of fresh air. And seeing what she could do in the ring with Molly, this is an excellent match. And I I loved how they handled the shaving Molly at the end. It was it was so good. Moving into the triple main event, Eddie versus Kurt, you just knew that was going to be wrestling gold. The rivalry been going on a while, and so you saw some excellent payoff with Eddie untying his boot. I mean, just, oh, that's just classic Eddie. So genius. I, I think the rivalry extends a little bit beyond this because I think Angle gets hurt, and so he has to become the general manager. And so he does everything he can to screw Eddie out of the belt. That's why JBL wins the title. Like it's, it's just really good stuff. Anytime you put those two together, honestly. And if you go even further back than this, when Eddie and Chavo were splitting up, Kurt Angle was the one that was trying to be the peacemaker in all of that as well. Oh, yeah. yes. So good. That was such a long burn getting to WrestleMania 20. Obviously, the return of The Undertaker. Huge, huge moment. At the time, I was none the wiser to what the original Undertaker gimmick was. So seeing the Druids come out with the fire and the lightning and the coat and the hat, it was chilling. This storyline, it was captivating because you saw Taker's death at Survivor Series to this. It was just epic. Well, Len, to kind of piggyback off what I was saying earlier, my only frame of reference for The Undertaker was you know, American Badass Big Evil. So yeah. – I didn't even realize that was the same guy when I was watching SummerSlam 96. So for him to come out and play the undead Western mortician, I'm like, I don't understand what's going on here. Just don't give him a microphone, please. We'll talk about getting lost in the desert. No, uh, or don't give him gloves or he'll like punch Vince McMahon one time and he'll lose two pints of blood. (laughs) Oh, my God. The final match in the card, it makes me cry just about every damn time I watch it. Instant classic. Triple threat match between Chris Benoit, who was just coming over from SmackDown after winning the Royal Rumble, which, again, was just such a novel idea at the time. Like jumping in between shows was just something they did not do back then, which made it feel like such a huge deal when you win the Royal Rumble. The only time you get to choose yourself, are you going to Raw or are you staying on SmackDown? And honestly, this should never have worked as well as it did. A lot of people would think that it should have felt like Benoit was being shoehorned into a feud that he didn't belong in. That's not what it felt like at all. It worked so well. 
In fact, they repeated the gimmick two years later with Angle Orton and Rey Mysterio. But I do think that's probably the greatest triple threat match in the history of triple threat matches. Their backlash match is also really good. Yeah. But I just I love this show. This had some really, really fabulous patches. It's got the most in terms of like peaks and valleys. I think if you could condense this show down into the version of the show that they show in the closing package at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you've definitely got an all-time classic on your hands here. Oh, absolutely. If you, if you trim about three matches, yeah, this is one of the best shows of all time. Yeah. <laughs> the heart of this show for me is two stretches in particular. Christian versus Chris Jericho then going into that handicap match. And then the latter half of the show here where you kind of had the, the women's main event, the SmackDown main event, the interpromotional main event and the Raw main event all in a stretch. I adore that Eddie and Kurt Angle match. I thought it was just a beautiful wrestling match. And the main event, as you say, it's just top class, high drama, great work rate. Even when it resorted to the typical one man out while two men battle, it really made up for it by the way that they reinserted the third man again. It just really innovated really well there. I have to talk more about The Undertaker's return here. I got at the tail end of 2003, there was a special edition Undertaker magazine and they interviewed him about going back to this gimmick and he was like, oh, who knows, maybe if something catastrophic happens to The Undertaker, you might see that old cowboy ride off into the desert again. And sure enough, at Survivor Series, something catastrophic happened and (laughs) we got the old cowboy, the old gunslinger back. I just thought it was just phenomenal. The match, it was meh, but it didn't really matter because the entrance, the return was the moment. I remember it so fondly. And when I go back and I just go straight to the match and watch the 10 minutes or whatever it is that they're in the ring, it's nothing special. But the story is, and I think that's one of the things that we talk about on Last Match Standing a lot is what makes some of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. And obviously to be on our list, it's got to have a little bit of everything, but you take into consideration, not just what goes on between the ropes, but everything that went into building this story that they're telling. And this is one of the greatest stories ever told the Brothers of Destruction. The cell job from Kane acting like he's hallucinating is fabulous. When he starts screaming, you're not real, I'm like, okay, here we go. When the bell finally rings, they just stare at each other, and Kane just is like, no, you're not real. And there's like a, just that moment of nothing's going on, and then Taker just starts beating the shit out of him. He's like, yeah, revenge. And I really love the crowd. They were kind of like respectful in lots of other moments but this was when they were really like rabid it's the undertaker back again they popped so loud for the undertaker just taking his hat off (laughs) they turned that into a spot in his entrance off the back of that Uh, they had to it's wrestling gold undertaker at wrestlemania doesn't get as goose bumpy as it does in that moment yeah like you say the wrestling itself was nothing to write home about it's a joy for everything other than the wrestling, really. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but don't we hear a familiar voice when he comes out? Oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> All right, 
referring to the return of Paul Bear? Quite possibly. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Any of the thoughts on this show? I figure we haven't really even gone the whole 15 or 20 minutes that the Playboy Evening Gown match deserves. Anybody? Any oh, God. Uh, <laughs> well, Sable takes off some of Stacey Keever's clothes. Miss Jackie gets her only pay-per-view appearance where she takes off some of Tori Wilson's clothes. Vince McMahon gets a boner backstage, and then the match ends. <laughs> the only thing I took from uh, that was the commentary when – Cole told Taz that pink and black should have been his colours, which I thought was a little big <laughs> I do love Jack Dawn getting rolled over. I think it's really, really funny when, when the referee Jack Dawn gets rolled over in the middle of the match. It's total trash, but it kind of made me chuckle for a second. Well, I mean, that was is that time period, man, because every, mm-hmm. everyone thinks, oh, man, it was so bad in the attitude. Oh, no, it got worse. It got so much worse. <laughs> It did indeed. Kyle, any thoughts on your boy, Triple H, in one of his biggest moments putting someone else over in the main event? <laughs> well, it's WrestleMania, so he's putting somebody over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's talking about the greatest record, hasn't he, at WrestleMania. I really, really enjoyed the match. Very good main event. Triple H is in the main event, so it's always going to be good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to figure out how good it is compared to the rest of the shows on this list what we're going to do next is a little reconstruction of what you guys at last match standing have to do every single time but hopefully i've got a little system here to make your lives a little bit easier we're going to individually rank the shows from one to five and the way this is going to work here is we're going to use the power of maths seeing as i will have two math degrees that might be able to help with that Every number one ranking is going to score one point. Every number two ranking will score two and so on and so forth. And so what we'll do is add up the score for each show at the end. And the show with the lowest score is going to be the last tape standing. So who wants to go first? Who wants to give their one through five ranking? Well, I think WrestleMania 20 has a 33% chance of making the number one this is not TNA, bro. Sorry. So starting at the bottom, I love, absolutely loved going back in time and listening to Paul go through SummerSlam 1996. But we watched five of the greatest pay-per-views we've ever put on, right? It's really tough. It made it to the bottom for me. There weren't enough wow spots. Survivor Series 2002, although I remember it extremely fondly for being the inaugural Elimination Chamber, doesn't quite make it past what King of the Ring 2001 did for me. So that's my number four. King of the Ring 2001 right there in the middle. That one was probably the toughest for me to rank just because you guys did a fantastic job selling it. And I was convinced going in this that WrestleMania 20 would have been my number one. But you almost maybe put King of the Ring over WrestleMania 20 because uh, it really is just top to bottom, a phenomenal card. And what Kurt Angle is able to do and then that main event is just epic. But, yeah, I had it at three. I was going to put WrestleMania 20 at the number one spot, but SummerSlam 2002 is the greatest pay-per-view I think they've ever done. So that's going to be my number one, WrestleMania 20 being number two. Well, since you've gone first, I guess I'll go second then. I will also start from the bottom. 
as important as the debut of the Elimination Chamber was, the rest of that show just did not grab me as much as I thought it would. Or it may have just been that I watched it on Daily Motion video and all the lovely little botches weren't trimmed out of the network. So I would put Survivor Series at the back. Not out of spite, just that, like, ah, that one didn't really jump out at me. And also, I didn't want to put my own show last. So that's going to go at number five. (laughs) (laughs) My show, SummerSlam 96, is going to be number four because it's essentially a two-match show. As awesome as those two matches are, I can't in good conscience put it above anything else unless it's from spite. So I'll put that at number four. Mania 20, yes, it had a lot of peaks. It had just as many valleys. So I'll put it right at number three. King of the Ring 01, I don't really see any mistakes on that show with the exception of the DDP stuff. But as I've already said, he didn't want to do it and Taker Clay didn't want to do it either. That would go number two for me. And the number one, SummerSlam 2002 is by and large probably one of the best shows of all time. And it is virtually flawless. So it is definitely my number one. And that's all I got to say about that. Well, I guess I should round out the last match standing, guys, I suppose, with our rankings here. And part of the reason why I want to go next is because I feel like I have to defend myself over Survivor Series 2002. Um, I'm going to put SummerSlam 96 at the bottom for a couple of reasons. One of them is, and listen, again, I apologize if this upsets you, but I don't love the Boiler Room Brawl. I just think it's very long. I think it's good. I just don't love it. And so it doesn't really bump itself up the list for me. It's got a great opening match, a great finish, and a lot of skippable stuff in between. So it's going to be SummerSlam 96 ranked number five for me. Then I actually have King of the Ring 2001 at number four. Uh, Yeah, it's fine. I, I apologize again if I'm offending anyone. But the reason why is because that show is telling... Mainly one story, kind of two. It tells the Kurt Angle, Shane McMahon story all night long, and then it touches on the WWF title at the end. I love the King of the Ring tournament, and I love that Edge won it, but those semifinal matches and the finals match have almost everything to do with Shane and Kurt. It's fine. like I think it's a great story, but it lowers the match card a little bit for me because they're all surrounding that one story. Number three for me is WrestleMania 20. There's a lot of great stuff. There's a lot of stuff that's just average. It was also my first WrestleMania. I've got a lot of fond memories. I think the good stuff is really, really good. But I couldn't reasonably put it over the other two choices. And you know what? I'm putting SummerSlam 2002 at number two. It's phenomenal. Listen, listen, I I will be controversial, but controversy creates cash, right? So, all right, Dash off. (laughs) SummerSlam 2002 is a great card. It's got a great main event. Shawn Michaels Triple H is one of my favorites of all time. Kurt Angle and Ray might be the best opener of all time, but I don't really care about the Un Americans. I don't really care about Taker's match with Test. I'm sorry about it. You've uh, done it now! Uh, <laughs> it's just not my favorite. Um, you hurt so, the feelings of test funds, the testicles. The testicles, yes, the throng. There the is testicles throng. are hurting right now. Well, I makes that with a random guy at WWF The World. I know. I'm sorry that that can't possibly be number one. I we found out like, that Sink is a misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, honey. 
That was a good thing there, Paul. Uh, I do realize that, that, that wasn't me. Was that Kyle? <laughs> oh, fantastic. I'm so used to Paul doing impressions that I wasn't prepared to think it was anyone else. That was a great think. Really well done. There's going to be some bias here, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm going to put Survivor Series 02 as the number one spot for me because I don't think there's a bad match on the card. I think all the other cards have at least something that's relatively skippable, and I don't think Survivor Series does. The Elimination Chamber is really, really good. It's a great moment, and there's just good storytelling all night long. So I apologize if it's a little bit biased, but it's going it's going to be number one for me. There are no power bombs on your show, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's only because Billy Kidman's on there, and it's impossible to power bomb Billy Kidman. That's <laughs> <laughs> <is> very true. <laughs> Kyle, do you want to kick things off for the Venna whatever side? Yeah. So again, I'll start from the bottom. Number five is going to have to be SummerSlam '96. I'm afraid. For me, the boiler room match and the championship match at the end was where it sort of peaked. The rest, take it or leave it. Number four, it's going to have to be Survivor Series 2002. I will Um, will see myself out now. (laughs) The enjoyable things about that was I did like the idea that there was a new champion in all the championship matches. I thought that that was the big thing on that that pay-per-view. And Triple H lost, so, you know, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) Number three was WrestleMania for me. I blame WWE for this because... Pretty safe doing that anytime. (laughs) The reason for this, hear me out, you know how the fans get on the back of Roman Reigns because WWE pushed Roman so much. It's not actually Roman's fault, but they give him loads of shit. So that's my reason for WrestleMania being number three, is that the only memory that I have, and it's nobody else's fault, is that it's seen as Mania match and he wins the US title and it just gets drilled into my brain. And that sort of ruins WrestleMania for me, that that WrestleMania in particular anyway, which is a shame. Some good matches in there, but it, it doesn't beat King of the Ring or SummerSlam, unfortunately. Number two is King of the Ring 2001. We've been through the reasons why I I really, really like that pay-per-view. It's very close to my heart. (laughs) And yeah, the winner is SummerSlam 2002. In Man and Dunk's podcast, we we spoke about how incredible that pay-per-view is and there isn't a bad match. I just want to mention that Triple H has zero wins on any of the pay-per-views we covered. I wasn't going to bring that up, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well I, I have to point out that Shawn Michaels wins every match on the show Yeah, that's not true he does not he loses it damn it I almost had a thing <laughs> damn it he loses at Wrestlemania 20 but he doesn't take the fall that's true Triple H Triple H, Triple H taps takes out <laughs> just going off on a tangent I think the crowd were kind of resentful for Shawn being in that match as well by the way Michaels came out and he got like crickets. I think this is what happened. The WWE still wanted to push the Sean versus Triple H. Oh, we never settled this because I guess they never really did settle it. They traded wins for what, two years? I don't think that the WWE had any faith in Chris Benoit as the guy until he walked out of WrestleMania and got that ovation. 
Yeah, speaking of the closing with Chris Benoit being made the guy, that ending where Chris is standing there with the big gold belt and then he turns around and there's Eddie, I'm just in tears every single time I see that and I can't help it. I'm going to get into my rankings here. It might be a bit of a tearjerker for some of these shows. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) So I shall also, in the spirit of things, go in reverse order. In at five, SummerSlam 96. Similar sort of reasons that the rest of you guys covered. I thought the two main events and the opener were the most interesting parts of this show. Everything else in the middle of the card, I could either like take a leave, really. The middle of my list was really, really hard to kind of separate, really. At four, I put King of the Ring 2001. Oh! I know, Kyle, I'm sorry. but <laughs> <laughs> This is really, really hard, isn't it? It is very, very tough, yeah. So Welcome to the party! <laughs> we went through it as we went through the show. There's not a bad match on this show. What I think takes away from it for me is the actual King of the Ring tournament matches don't have much of a chance to shine because they're just a backdrop for Kurt Angle's story. They all got over pretty much early in the show, and I think they're the weaker matches on this show. Not that they're bad or anything. I went at number three with WrestleMania 20 just because of the lack of consistency. I feel like when I want to watch a show, I feel like it's nice having something top to bottom that you can just flick through. I had this show on DVD. It was an excellent DVD set, by the way. It had the top 10 matches of WrestleMania history special and the mania of WrestleMania movie. But I found myself skipping around and trying to find my favourite matches when I was watching this show when I had it on DVD. The highs are really, really high, but the trouble is the lows are not worthy of being on WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Number two, I put Survivor Series 2002. Probably a bit of a bias here for me. As I mentioned, the version that I got from Kyle originally edited out some of the actual filler from the show. The actual wrestling itself, again, there's not a bad match on here. And it's just really, really easy to whiz through the whole of the undercard in one go, get through the filler, and then cut to the main event, which was a really, really good spectacle. At number one, I, I couldn't move away from it. It's SummerSlam 2002 for me. Probably a little bit of nostalgia playing in here, because there are a couple of matches that are just you know, kind of here or there. But the strongest moments for me are just too strong to ignore. Shawn Michaels and Triple H is... is near as damn it a perfect match the undisputed title and the intercontinental title matches and the opener Kurt Angle versus Rey Mysterio it's one of the best matches of all time so I just couldn't look past it so I've used my super duper math skills to figure out what our overall ranking is for these five shows. In at five was no surprise. It's SummerSlam 1996. It had four number five rankings and wound up with a score of 24. The middle three were extremely close. At number four was Survivor Series 2002. 
with a score of 16. In at three, King of the Ring 2001, that had a score of 15. At number two, WrestleMania 20, that scored 14. But the last tape standing. No surprises here, it had four number one rankings. It's SummerSlam 2002. What you're saying is I had a perfect ranking. Because that is exactly what I had written down as my ranking. How about that? What Does I gather, I'm the then now whatever tramp champion. Am I? Am I the champion again? I don't think that's how yeah. it works, Landon. Well, it's totally not, how it works. This is not me saying that I don't respect everyone else's rankings, but the fact that Duncan did in fact rank Survivor Series 2002 second means that we are now going to go do our own spinoff pod, and it was a pleasure working <laughs> with everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Spencer, as I mentioned, this is a it was a show that Kyle recorded for me, so we will be covering it in our Tape Trader Diary series. So fantastic. Well, you're more than welcome to join us. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm there. I'm totally there. <laughs> I'm thrilled because my pick won. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm like, man, I should have picked a different show, but I was like, no, this was my first tape. I'm picking this one. Yeah, I mean, we're all over here trying to be honest about, you know, tapes that we'd received. And you're just like, oh, let me pick what I already know is the greatest pay-per-view of all time. Well, you see, I almost picked Royal Rumble 2000, which I feel like would have been a really strong contender. But at the same time, I was like, no, it wasn't my first tape. It was my like my second or third tape. So I did get another tape, and it wasn't a tape. It was actually a burned DVD, No Way Out 2006 with Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker. I almost mm. went with that. Isn't it just, though, so very interesting that Survivor Series, King of the Ring, and WrestleMania were all so, so tightly packed in spots two through four? I, I thought that was really, really interesting. Obviously, a clear above-and-away winner in SummerSlam 2002. But I do want to ask, Kyle and Duncan, how did you feel about ranking? How was that? Was that difficult? For me, the middle portion was the hardest, really. I had a clear idea of what was my least favorite and what was my favorite show, but it kind of got a little bit into splitting hairs when you got to the middle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all know what that's about over here. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I sort of had my bottom ranking and my top ranking and uh, it was kind of, they were placed differently before we had this podcast. But then as we were talking through them, I was like, oh, actually, you know, that could move up or that, that drop down a little bit. So it did, doing the podcast did change my rankings. I think that's really interesting because that's something that happens on our end just about every single episode is we might have an idea of where we want to match ranked going into it. But by the time we've talked through it and by the time everyone's had their say in terms of where they think it goes, man, it just really does vary and, and it does change that opinion. So that does tell me that I did not do a super great job of convincing you about Survivor Series 2002. But... <laughs> Other than that, really, really interesting that that we all sort of were able to talk through the cards. And that did definitely sway some of our thoughts, I think, as we were ranking. Yeah. Gentlemen, this was an absolute blast. 
This was so much oh, fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. I hope we can do it again sometime soon because this was just just so much fun. Maybe we do a last announcer standing or something. <laughs> that would be interesting. As yeah. long as I get to hear that Finkel impersonation again, then I'm set. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was really good. It gives me a great deal of pleasure <laughs> to introduce you my hard Finkel impression. <laughs> That is really good. <laughs> well, I don't know. Put that up against Paul's Vince McMahon. Paul, give us something. Oh, Welcome us to WrestleMania. Welcome, everyone, to WrestleMania 20. Brock Lesnar and Goldberg are going to shit the bed. <laughs> Guys, again, a million thank yous. We had the most fun collaborating with you on this, and we are obviously super stoked for any future collaborations. Whether you're listening to us, on the Then Now Whatever feed, or you're listening to us on the Last Match Standing feed, make sure you go follow the other show, because if you're not, you're missing out on some really, really great content, really, really good stuff. So thanks again for listening to everyone, and to Then Now Whatever, thank you again for the time today. Oh, thank you guys for joining us here. Like I said, it's really, really good fun. Thrilled to get into it and relive some great shows. Yeah, huge thank you. Thank you for, uh, for coming on. It's been great. What are your details that everyone can follow you on? You can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook if you prefer, at LastMatchCast. You can also listen to the show on Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you want to find us. We're probably there. If you have any match suggestions, you are also welcome to contact us on social media or give us any feedback to our email at LastMatchStanding at gmail.com. And we also have a Patreon account. You can subscribe and get awesome, awesome perks like Early Access, our spinoff episodes and podcasts, Last Mania Standing, and Welcome to the Elite, as well as possibly get to participate with us on some trivia challenges that we do. So you can find us on all of those places, and it's always super, super appreciated. So uh, again, thanks for that. Loads and loads of goodies lined up for you there. What is next in line for you guys in terms of shows? We're coming right up on our 50th episode, which I suppose now is as good a time as ever to announce what that match we're going to be covering is. On our 50th episode, we will be covering the Icon versus Icon match from WrestleMania 18, Hollywood Hulk Hogan versus The Rock. And this will actually be Hulk Hogan's first entry into the last match standing list. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for that in just a few weeks. Fantastic. For those of you unfamiliar with us, we're then now whatever the wrestling podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at TMW podcast or on Instagram at TMW underscore podcast. You can listen to the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher Radio or Apple Podcasts. If you head on over to our SoundCloud page, we've got a few playlists to help you out, catch up with the show, as well as my guest appearances on the Raw is Nitro podcast. It's a podcast of my friends where we look at shows that went head to head on the same night and figure out which one is best. Next in the pipeline for us, we're going to continue our Tape Trader Diaries series with the UK WWF No Mercy 1999 pay-per-view. Got some interesting stories around that one. Keep your eyes peeled for that. It'll probably be out within the next month or so. That'll round it off for this edition, this milestone in podcasting. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. So 
from us of then now whatever it's a goodbye from kyle goodbye thanks for listening it's a goodbye from me see you later for last match standing as always i'm spencer i'm paul i'm landon and this was a special crossover of last match standing <laughs>